Welcome to Talking Events, the event industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Um, we're once again uh, broadcasting and recording the podcast from the offices of IBID um, in Richmond, southwest London. We should put a big uh, shout out to, to the guys at IBID for hosting us here for a couple of days and allowing us to set up the studio in their offices. Joining us in the studio today, we'll first of all welcome Stuart Wilson, commercial director from JMT in Display, better known in the industry as Oz. Oz, thanks for joining us this morning. Hi. Uh, Paul Richardson, Managing Director of Vivid Inc. Public Relations, also joins us in the studio. Morning, Paul. Good morning. And joining us on the line uh, from the Voyage Control uh, offices is the company's Chief Operations Officer, Paul Staples. Uh, Staples, Paul, good morning. Good morning, all. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the subject of event logistics and managing the carbon cost associated with an event. I think for the purposes of today's podcast, we're going to look at it with a focus on something like an, an exhibition, uh, a major exhibition, um, looking at elements like recycling, upcycling, waste management. Um, I suppose what we should first of all look at is is perhaps how things have, have changed. Um, Paul Richardson um, You've got experience within the conference and the exhibition industry going back to, what, the mid-80s, I think you said before. Thank you. Um, (laughs) This is is rich experience we should perhaps draw on, and perhaps we should start by looking at how things were and how things are, and then during today's podcast, look at why we're now at a stage where people really need to look at their their carbon footprint. Well, as an exhibitor in the uh, mid to late 80s, there was no ever in recognition that you might want to recycle any of the materials, both from the stand and from that you'd taken to deploy on the stands of literature and things like that. It literally was skip fodder at the end of the show. Um, and slowly over time, there's been a gradual awareness that you can't keep tipping things into landfill. And people have made great inroads into recycling certain materials, into looking at local sourcing rather than moving things around, uh, around Europe and around the planet. So the industry has really taken that on and become quite responsible. Um, and in the exhibition sector especially, the trade associations have been leading the way with cross-association sustainability working groups um, to bring the best practice in sustainability and green issues to the fore. Um, is, is this a genuine appreciation of uh, the impact a, 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 an, ex- an exhibition can have on the environment, or is this a bit of peer pressure within the wider industry that has prompted more and more organisers to actually watch their carbon footprint. What was the driving factor in, in people's shifts to, to where they are now? I personally think it's the sheer waste of it and that organisers and even exhibitors actually seen what we're throwing out, like carpet for starters, and that, that is now recyclable. We were many, many years ago, and I'm looking at 10 years ago, everything was thrown in waste. You'd have a 20,000 metre show and it was just thrown straight into the skip and you're looking at, you're looking at 10 skip loads and they're not small skips. So that was thrown straight in the waste and people would look at it and go, hold on, what's going on here? And, that, and I think they opened their eyes up and said, there's one or two companies that said, right, we can recycle this stuff. And that's what's happening now. All carpet that I know of near enough gets recycled. It's not very often that the jobs that do not get recycled. We should perhaps bring, bring Paul Staples in on the line um, because, Paul, you're, you're dealing from a logistics point of view and, of course, mm-hmm. managing carbon uh, footprint and, and, and the, the, the cost of it um, is not necessarily just the stuff that you're throwing away or generating at the event itself, but we've also got to look at getting things to and from it. Indeed. I mean, one of the things we've certainly noticed alone in the 12, last 12 months is the, the number of venues that are keen to measure the carbon footprint caused just simply by the vehicles attending 
uh, the, the event. Um, you know, the, the analytics behind that hasn't necessarily been too evolved over the last few years. Uh, the better GPS technology and, 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 uh, and measure, measurement uh, abilities, you can, you can make pretty good assumptions now. And that's all feeding into to these big corporates, um, CSR programs, corporate social responsibility programs, so they can make these positive statements that through shared logistics or better route mapping or better access into venues that the carbon footprint can be managed more effectively. Um, I'm just looking at some some figures here um, and, and some information from um, from MRW. Um, and talk of recycling rates is usually focused on on household figures um, and how England is is languishing um, round about the forty three percent mark. The average recycling rate in the UK, according to their information in the events sector, is just fifteen percent. Now I don't know if if, if the three of you have any figures contrary to that particular figure, um, but fifteen percent means that a huge potential in the industry thought to support around twenty five thousand businesses, and yet fifteen percent is is the sort of the recycling figure at the moment. Um, are there any statistics or any information that you've got, as I said, that that, that would um, would contradict that in any way? In terms of recycling, I think that that's the I'd, I'd question the fifteen percent because the amount of materials that are coming off site. And as an example, if you're at an exhibition and the shell scheme specifically in a in a show is usually aluminium poles with infill panels, and they're reused show after show after show. So there's a reuse element there as opposed to a recycle. And I'd mm. I'd question as to whether some of those figures might actually include the reuse as well as the recycle. Well, ours then from from, from a um, a hardware point of view and, and equipment that's being brought in and, and furniture and all of those sort of bits uh, are figures taken into account when organisers are actually reusing that, or that stuff is coming back to into your stock. Well, everything's coming back to our stock and we like to refurbish everything. We like to throw nothing away. And that's, uh, we've got a new spray booth in our company and we respray stuff, we recover stuff. So it's always being reused and anything that we don't reuse and it comes to its end of its life, we give away to a charity and that. So it's always being used. So we would like to think that nothing personally goes into um, land landfill. And, uh, and that's the same with a lot of the exhibition halls now that I've noticed actually have like a wood collection. So at the end of the show, they actually, somebody goes along, collects all the wood, and that's all recycled. So I'd be very surprised at how low that figure is compared to actually what goes in and out of the place. Let, let's take it back a, a stage, actually, before the, the, the exhibition or the event even begins, um, and look at the, the planning that's done now by organisers and how they plan even before the event to, to manage their, their carbon cost effectively um, and the resources available to them now to help do that. Um, Paul Staples, when, it, when you're working with, with suppliers, with contractors, with venues, with organisers and they're looking at really managing the most effective way to deliver their event, how are you now working with them in order to, uh, to look at those, um, th those areas? Sure, well, there's, a, there's a couple of key key parts to, to the equation. First of all, knowing who's actually booked or willing to book to, to go to a particular event. And from that, we can provide the mapping around where those vehicles are coming from, provide the estimates as to how much carbon will be generated from the size of vehicle, type of vehicle, uh, road speeds, uh, etc. If you look at a regular uh, 26-ton HGV, you're, you're just shy of 1,000 grams of carbon at 50 mile an hour. Now, um, per kilometre, that is. Now, if you can manage the flow of that vehicle into the uh, exhibition centre in a much more controlled manner, you either keep the vehicle moving at a, a rate that is that is going to reduce the carbon footprint, 
uh, and therefore the, the the venue achieves a, a kind of metric around that that they can measure. But equally, then if you're you're reducing some of the social impacts associated to that as well. So if you've got a vehicle that uh, or some multiple vehicles turning up to a venue that uh, would otherwise all arrive at the same time. And that venue only has capacity for two of those four vehicles, for example. You can schedule those vehicles so that the flow of traffic in and out is much better coordinated. And that all goes into the planning process of the build-up phase of, of any event uh, at any point in time. And in particular, where you've got these event hubs uh, in London, Manchester, mm-hmm. Birmingham, they tend to be in high residential areas as well, or, or relatively residential areas. So by removing some of those congestion factors, that alone is a good environmental factor, but has the added benefit of, of improving the relationship between venue and the local residents too. Um, Paul Richardson, you're working with um, a number of trade organisations and organisers of, of events and exhibitions and, and have your own experience in doing so. Um, how have you seen uh, the, the resources developed that are available to to planners and organisers in terms of how they manage this. We were just speaking to, Paul, Paul Staples was saying how they can look at the emissions from things like vehicles and trucks and, and, and help that in the planning process, uh, the arrival times, the build-up process. Um, but in terms of the resources available to, to, to organisers, how has that developed and how much more sophisticated is it now for them to be able to plan all elements of it? Well, it's much... The, the resources are far more... Um, available than they ever were in the past. Um, you've actually got, you can, you can calculate quantities of timber used, you can qu- calculate the quantities of, of carpet, the carpet that's then going back to, uh, to recycle. So the actual in-venue um, resources that are, sorry, the, the in-venue uh, materials used can be much better measured. Um, and as I was saying earlier, the things like the, um, the shell schemes mm-hmm. um, can go, they're, they're reusable, so they don't fall into that um, recycle category. One thing that's interesting that Paul brought up when he was talking about scheduling um, vehicles into uh, a venue, um, we were talking to um, a particular organizer in an event, and they, because in those high-density areas Paul talked about, there isn't what used to be the old car parks where you could queue up vehicles and they could go and park up and wait for their turn to be called into a venue. And with the loss of that car parking facility, it started to cause vehicles that were coming in to actually sitting almost like a holding pattern driving round uh, a city waiting for an opportunity to come in and and drop off which actually was creating a bigger problem than when they were parking Mm -hmm. so the facility Mm -hmm. to be able to time people coming in and bring them in as has um created a a a much better platform to manage that carbon footprint so a knock-on effect of of managing carbon cost is is actually a, a slicker build process because people are having to be more careful of when the vehicles are arriving is that your experience as in getting vehicles on and off site yeah it is um we don't spend as much time like you say in car parks mm-hmm. now we're straight there drop off and go and we're not using as many vehicles because we're using the same vehicle in respect going backwards and forwards and everything like that so it's saving a lot of time and saving a lot of space sitting around with the trucks and that so we're not hanging about the halls you see what I mean? Are there instances, Paul Staples, of um, of, of contractors, suppliers, organisations working and, and seeking partnerships to actually reduce how many vehicles are going in? So contractors who are supplying different elements to the same event actually working together to use one vehicle? That is the aspiration. 
um, I think of many of the logistics uh, providers to, to the, the people doing the exhibitions in the end. I think, are we there yet? Not quite. Um, there's a lot of work to be done around sharing information of what those payloads are and then what the spare capacity is. And then actually the um, deviation from the shortest route that that log logistics provider would actually take in order to work out the economic benefit for them to picking up or sharing a load yeah. with somebody else. So interestingly enough, one of the things we have been asked to look at is exactly how you could do that. And one of the beauties of the, the event exhibition centre and being able to do that is everyone's got a common purpose. They're all going there at the right same time for the same purpose. So if you can identify the source part of all those journeys, at the very least, we, we are able to suggest who could potentially share payload. Right. Um, it requires a lot more information, a lot more uh, algorithms behind it. So that's why I say I don't think we're quite there yet. But I think it's just a matter of time. Um, and it's certainly something we're working on. And we work with a number of logistics companies and exhibitors and event uh, uh, venues to, to, to work through that, that, that ultimately nirvana state of, of reducing activity onto a site. Uh, and what about looking at, at bigger distances? Um, where it actually may be more practical to, to utilize a partner company or a different company altogether nearer to a venue than it would be to actually ship the stuff there yourself. Um, again, uh, how, much, um, how much of that has been explored by the industry in your, your experience? I would say from, from our experience, purely looking at logistics side, um, very limited uh, exposure to that right now. Um, I, I would honestly say that it's something that needs, probably needs a little bit more focus about finding third-party providers more locally to, to provide services. But at the same time, if you've got someone traveling from Preston to London who's, who's going to be exhibiting their, um, their cupcakes at the National Cupcake Convention, they <laughs> still need to get their cupcakes down from Preston. Could we, could we so, get the details on that? But the point being, if they've still got a product to market at that uh, convention, they've still got to go from A to B to get there from wherever they're manufacturing that course, product. Um, so, so I think you've probably got two dynamics. You've got those who can provide the build-up and the environment upon which the, uh, the person exhibits, and then you've got the products that, that person is exhibiting directly. There's probably that sourcing arrangement could be done more locally on the first part of that. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that's where we're at, where we're on a win situation because we've got a group around Europe. So if a customer does ring up and we they want something in Paris, they want something in Holland, we actually don't have to send a vehicle. We ring our sister company and they'll actually deliver the furniture straight to the actual site for us. Right. So we don't have to worry about ferries, the Calais, all the problems in Calais, everything like that. We don't worry about anything like that and that's where we're quite lucky. And that, that we don't actually have to deliver anything from the UK to Europe. And that, so that saves on O2 and everything. It's, it's certainly an advantage to those companies who've got, um, who are multiple locations. So you may have offices and facilities dotted around Europe. So you're making the shortest possible journey between process of manufacture. Mm. Um, and I think, as Paul said, those people are providing the uh, exhibition environment. So if, if they can transport their wares to venue from a local uh, supply depot it's much better than trying to drive it from somewhere in the UK down to the yeah. channel ports cross channel port and driving halfway across Europe so there's the, the, those logistics work quite well um, from our experience in the industry there's some people who own their own facilities as Oz just said they've, they've got a network of companies there's one or two companies are in that fortunate position others 
uh, form partnerships and strategic alliances so that they can they can work in a similar manner. Uh, we, we talk a lot about logistics and getting things to and from, and I think it's fair to say there are some very sophisticated means with which organisers now can, can help plan vehicle movements. Um, We'll come in a bit, I think, to talking about visitors and getting customers on and off-site, because I think that's going to play a major part. But from an organiser's perspective, could they be more proactive in other elements like recycling of paper, like not over-ordering printed materials that still are inevitably going to be utilised at an event, but perhaps in a far less of a way than they were 10 years ago? Um, could they? Could organisers still be more proactive in what they're doing with some of the small, what they see as smaller facets? I suppose to some degree, but one thing we have seen is with the advent of uh, technology using the internet, you've seen a, a reduction in things like exhibitor manuals, hard copy exhibitor manuals. I'm, I'm unfortunately old enough to be able to remember when this big wadge of paper used to land through your, your post box. And then the you lever spent, arch file. Yeah, and you, you spent a good couple of hours filling everything in and faxing it to people, so you're generating paper at multiple locations. Most of that's been taken away, and, and some of the organisers and the suppliers to, to organisers are now using online forms, and they're using digital signing, and some quite sophisticated techniques to allow everything to happen online and that's reducing the amount of paper. Part of the, pro uh, the challenge is also the reduction of waste coming out of things like, or encouraging um, exhibitors not, not to take 400 brochures to a show, to use things like technology that's available. So using, uh, you see some exhibitors using I, um, iPads on site that they can use that technology to show products. They can then, if a client says, yeah, I like that, can, could you send me that information? They can actually send it direct from the iPad using technology. Um, you don't need to have big stocks of brochures. Um, part of that's also a knock-on effect, and then you don't need big cupboards on the stand to put all those in, so that's a bit of extra space and extra uh, construction you don't need. So there's lots of little things that have little knock-on benefits all the way through. Who Who is driving on, uh, the, the desire to continually refine this whole process? Um, I, I'm keen to know because there doesn't seem to be sort of any one force coming from anywhere. There's no legislation. Well, there is legislation, but there, there is, I think it's fair to say, a, a continued determination by the industry as a whole to want to, to reduce carbon cost and carbon footprint and emissions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, where do you guys see the actual the driving forces behind this, uh, this continuation? If it... <laughs> Okay, I'll be the one that'll stick my neck yeah, through, let my head through this particular noose. It, in all honesty, it's cost. As landfill costs have gone up, we've only got a finite amount of capacity of holes in the ground to fill up with waste material. Mm. And from a recycling point of view, the cost to do that is going up and up and up, and there are landfill taxes as well. So to some, well, it's quite a significant degree, there's a fiscal imperative on companies not to waste and to recycle. So that's the... the the kind of Kickstarter that's got people moving down it. And when people get into that routine of thinking along those lines, it starts to become a virtuous circle because they also see that it reduces other problems and takes other challenges away from them and makes life easier. So it kind of starts to have a snowball effect. But a, a lot of this is about cost. It's about making sure that they're not get, there are no penalties for doing that and also making it a bit more efficient. And you can actually make money out of recycling as well. No, you can course, actually, yeah. Yeah. We, we, ta we take cardboard and we actually take plastic away from site and we've got a compactor in our warehouse and that automatically, we crush it all and we actually sell it. 
So there is another way of getting money out of recycling. Uh, when, when we look at the cost to organisers um, for things like landfill and the fact that yeah. they will get penalised for sending things to landfill, but Paul Staples, how, how will it work from a, a logistics point of view and when you've got vehicles involved, what, what are the penalties for, for overuse of vehicles? Are there penalties and, and, and what's the driving element in that particular area of it? Well, in, interestingly, it was only this morning I had a conversation with a particular venue about putting a penalty system in place for overstaying a welcome on site. Um, and, and being able to administer that. Um, there are no sites that we're working with that have any sort of uh, tax burden or incentive system to reduce vehicle entrance uh, onto, onto site. Um, is it something for the future for sure? I think coming back to your point around legislation though, and what's driving a lot of this, I think you've got a lot of environmental legislation coming out from multiple different parts, all of which impact the event and exhibition centre from one perspective or another, be that reduction on landfill, be that carbon emissions from, from traffic, be that some sort of local environmental play on, on, on pollution. All of these factors are, are putting pressure on venues to then support initiatives along all of their supply chain and value chain to do stuff. Well, that- I think that's the key thing there. That leads me to my to, to my next point or next question, which was how how much of a factor are the venues in in driving organisers' decisions when it comes to this particular subject, um, and what are the venues doing again in in, in your experience, the three of you, um, in in helping to push better planning when it comes to to managing carbon cost. Working with. Well, the- I- Gone, Paul. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll talk from a kind of social environmental, which does yeah. have a knock-on to kind of carbon. If you're able to reduce the amount of traffic jams that certain sites have going in and out of, that improves the, the kind of well-being of the local area generally. Yeah. Less less vehicles, carbon just sitting there as trucks arrive with engines running. So, so the venue itself has a role to play with ensuring that it has a good, strong relationship with its local community that it's located in. And I think as a consequence of wanting to get on better rather than we're just a business and we ignore you, there is a very, very positive momentum in trying to get on with the local residents that we've seen from, from the vast majority of our, our sites that we look after. Oz, in your experience in working... I've no doubt in in all of the major venues ac- across the country and, and within Europe as well. Yep. Um, have you seen Have you seen the venues themselves drive th- this subject? And it'd be interesting to look at a comparison, perhaps between some of the UK venues and European venues, if you've got any experience of those. Um, you, you, most European venues are twenty four hours. That's where we're slightly different. We don't really have twenty four hour venues, and that they close at ten o'clock. We've got to be off site. Um, I know most of Germany, France, that we do a lot of work in, and that as a group, that um, it is twenty four hours. So you can get out that night, you're gone, and that. So a lot of the travel will be doing during the night. So traffic jams and everything like that during the day stops, and that. And they've got proper. I don't know. In in Germany, it's very, very good. They're really, really built for exhibitions. You drive in, gone, and you, you're gone straight away. They've got it all set up, and you can keep going in all through the night, and that. So it stops that sort of thing where there's congestion and everything like that. It would be interesting to see how that changes because I do, I do know, and I'm going to stop short of, of specifically naming uh, both the event and the venue. But there was an announcement last week, and there is a major 
um, event that's going to move to one of our major event venues um, later on this year, which for the first time we'll see that venue open throughout the night. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, that, uh, that there was, a, I think, an announcement on Event Industry News um, last week. But there is an event that will move, uh, move to a venue that will see that venue open for the first time um, overnight. I'm curious to sort of throw that at you, perhaps unannounced, and say, well, what are your initial thoughts on, 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 it, on a venue opening 24 hours in the UK and how that could change things? Um, Paul Staples, perhaps from a vehicle and a logistics point of view, um, you might be able to... To, to give an opinion on that one? I think uh, the flow of traffic and, and, and vehicle access, I think that will be uh, a positive. Um, again, local environment issues, however, if, if you've got vehicles thundering through, HEVs thundering through at, uh, at 2 a.m. in the morning, that may have a, a negative impact locally um, if, if they're not used to it. And depending on size of exhibition, uh, and, and how they use that that kind of uh, evening window and nighttime window to move freight in and out, then uh, I think that needs to be looked at a little bit more carefully. Um, but equally, if you look at London congestion zones and, and timings of those, that will be a positive benefit uh, if they are able to move uh, in, in, in uh, outside those congestion time frames to, to, to reduce costs. Uh, guys in the studio, any thoughts on, on, on venues? Perhaps th this won't spell the start of all venues suddenly opening 24 hours, but certainly the decision to allow one event to do it will inevitably now lead to more organisers saying, well, hold on, if they can do it, can we do it? W what impact will then that, uh, that start to have on organisers, do you think? There's, I mean, the first things that occur to you is that you then, if the venue is going to be open, you're going to have to have people on site. Um, so there'll be a, a personnel uh, impact on organisers and then that might mean nighttime working arrangements. You may then have the same for any contractors who are doing any uh, build-up and breakdown work in the, in the halls. Um, it, it's, it seems to be a sensible route to follow the European model because standardisation allows people to operate um, mm -hmm. more effectively. Um, I think it'll be a very interesting one to watch. Yeah, Oz. Any any uh, any thoughts on it um, in, in your particular uh, line of work? I, I think it's a it's a positive look for us, and that that we can get through through the night. So when we're doing a show, we do certain shows that we can get it all done on one night. So the trucks are there because a lot of the time the trucks have to come up in the afternoon to load up, and that then come back the next morning again because there's not enough time to get it all done because tenancies are getting shorter and shorter. So it does get tight that you need to get it all out. So if it was 24 hours, that truck could stay there. You're not doing two or three trips. And that you're not going backwards and forwards that night, then back again in the morning in the congestion zone. You're just getting it done away. You're gone from the hall. You don't have to be there the next day. Let's, um, as, as the podcast sort of moves to a conclusion in this particular episode, um, Paul Staples, um, I'll come to you first of all and, and, and ask you if you have a an event organiser that comes to you and says, look, how can you help me? What can you do? What, what would be some of the, the, the key snippets of advice that you would give to an event organiser if they're looking to, to reduce the cost associated with their, their carbon, uh, carbon footprint? Understand where your uh, exhibitors are coming from and their supply chain uh, of contractors they will use to create the various stands. Um, that's the first and foremost, so you're then able to manage the, the amount of kilometres that your exhibition is putting on 
UK roads and therefore consequences of, of, of carbon. I think the other thing to do is understand your uh, loading and unloading operation uh, and the space that you've got and look at how efficiently that can be used to get those vehicles in and out. So better site surveying, We've come across venues that will park an HGV up, which has a, a, car, a, a, a curtain side to it, which requires a forklift truck right next to a fence. Um, so, so the forklift <laughs> truck can't many get access. Exactly. So <laughs> if you can understand your site and, and, and better plan the vehicle uh, movement on that site and, and sequence it, much like an air traffic control would do with airports, with an aircraft landing and which gate it goes to, all of that's planned up front. Um, again, something that we, we support a number of venues with. If you can do that, you reduce the amount of effort and time and therefore lay time vehicles just hanging around waiting to unload and therefore the, the carbon impacts associated to that. Um, Oz, you're nodding away in the studio there. So I take it you're in agreement with a, a lot of what Paul uh, Paul Stables has just said. But then focusing specifically on your own offering, you have an organiser that approaches you and says, look, how can we do this just a little bit better than we have been? And what can you, what advice can you offer us? What would you say to them? With us as a group, we could, we could say, right, if you're going to France, you're going to here, we could, we're quite lucky. I can say, right, we've got the, we've got the stock there. We don't have to move it anywhere and that. But what I would like to look at is a lot of the certain organizers that we work for and that there's, there's one in particular, which I won't mention. Um, she's hot on, um, recycling. So everything she does, she goes around the hall and she watches everybody, every stand builder, everything like that. And if you fill up a bin with wood, she charges you straight away. So a lot of the actual contractors and stuff like that are taking their waste away. And that, so it's more proactive getting out there and actually seeing what people are throwing away. So it's not filling up all the bins or there's certain places that are recycling all their plastic or all their carpet and everything like that. It's more being out there and pushing it to so taking a proactive stance yeah. what, during the build process during the event itself yep. and actually laying down the law in a way by the sounds exactly. of things and not giving people the opportunity for next time to, to come in and make those yeah, same mistakes i know certain i've seen certain um organizers that have done that and what a difference it makes to the actual waste of the show and because people actually open their eyes and go actually we are wasting a lot here let's get it away and they take their own stuff away to hopefully reuse but very quickly, before we, we wrap up, um, what are the rest of the world doing? Obviously, we're, we're, it, this is not just a UK issue in terms of reducing carbon yeah. cost and carbon emissions and carbon footprint. This is a global issue. Um, have we learned in the UK events industry anything from our, our peers around the world? Or are we leading the way? Which way is it flowing at the moment? Or is this a collective effort? Do we really think that everybody is is at the same level. I don't know what your experiences are of, of, of working with uh, on this scenario overseas. I think Europe are beating us in the way they recycle everything like that because I know certain companies in Europe that uh, they have green awards and everything like that and we have certain members of our group that have actually won these green awards and it's all emblazoned on their trucks and everything like that. But I think they recycle a lot more, which I've noticed when we've been out in Europe, and they're more conscious, conscious about it. We're getting there, but I don't think we're up to Europe standards as yet. Interestingly, I think as, as we become, as companies become larger and multinational uh, and operating, uh, the industry operates internationally anyway, the larger companies, their CSR, Corporate and Social Responsibility 
policies that are in now, they will then start to force the behaviours through those organisations to uh, to evidence how they've reduced carbon footprint, how they're recycling, how they're reusing materials. And not to harp on about it too much, but that's again a, it's a fiscal driver because mm-hmm. if they're publicly listed companies, it will be, they will have an element of their CSR, which is defined in as part of their um, their overall portfolio, and it'll affect their share price. So, having that corporate social responsibility, evidencing that they're doing it, will cause people with international profiles to start mm. um, to behave in a uniform manner, and that then will impact down through the the supply chain. Paul Staples' f- fiscal impact. Then, um, yeah, I, I, do I get the impression that you, you're in agreement again with that uh, that particular statement? I, I would, and, and it's actually, I, I think we, you know, we touched on the point around being able to evidence these sorts of things. We, you know, we work with a number of US uh, venues, and, and they are probably more keen to see the evidence uh, around the carbon footprint, specifically from logistics, um, than, than what we've seen as a movement over here at this point in time, um, simply because they've got a lot of big congestion in, in, in high-rise areas uh, particularly on the east coast of of the u.s because of that driver of congestion that then drives the venue to to do something so uh, yeah i I see the u.s at the moment's made a bit of a steal for for analytics and being able to evidence but it's just a matter of time until we start to see even more pressure on that over here we should um we should wrap up this particular episode by um by inviting as ever our listeners to get in touch with the podcast with their thoughts their comments their opinions on this particular subject and indeed um, any expansions to this subject that, that we could cover in future episodes of the podcast. Um, get in touch with us at Talking Events on Twitter. Um, joining us in the studio today, um, Oz, thank you very much. Thank you. Paul Richardson in the studio, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Paul Staples from Voyage Control uh, joined us on the line. Paul, thanks for your time today. Thank you, thank you very much. My name's James Dixon and you've been listening to Talking Events. Thank you.